Welcome back, everyone, and thank you for joining us for today's podcast from Dublin First Baptist Church in Dublin, North Carolina. We hope you'll be encouraged today as you listen to our message. For more information, please visit our website at www.dublinfbc.org. That's www.dublinfbc.org. Now let's join the congregation of Dublin First Baptist as we listen to the preaching of God's Word. All right, will you turn with me to Psalm 37, please? We started out here last week. It's a long Psalm 40 verses. So we took a look at the first uh, 11 last week. Uh, A wisdom psalm, very proverbial. Looks a lot like the book of Proverbs where it jumps from uh, different truth to different truth. Um, But its theme was pretty fixed, and it's this. Sometimes, when you and I look at the world around us, and we might look at wicked people in it who have little to no regard for God and for God's word or for his will, and it seems like they're successful, sometimes even blessed, maybe even happy, and it doesn't make sense to us. And what makes it even more difficult for a Christian is we usually will see at the very same time righteous people, those who've gone all in for Jesus, trusting him alone for their salvation, living by his word, doing all they can to walk in his way and his will for their lives. Well, sometimes we don't seem to have it quite as good. In fact, we have suffering at times and persecution and affliction, maybe even injustice. So last week in verse 1, God had David lay that out, and he tells us not to fret, because the normal response when we just stay there looking at all that is fretting. Um, In verse 2, he explained why we ought not fret or fear, and and it was the fact that uh, it's a seeming, a seeming success that they have, and then he elaborated on that later on, and then he called us to have faith anyway in God to believe what God says is going to happen, to believe that it's just a seeming success. And then he defined what faith is for us in detail, uh, very explicitly, that it's trusting God, that it's delighting in God, it's committing totally, committing our way to him, and then experiencing rest, experiencing rest because we've done all that. So in the rest of this psalm, now verses 12 to 40, the one we're going to study tonight here, this section of it, the theme continues. I think it's kind of a reason that God had it do that in this long psalm because you know what? Our struggle with it continues too. You know, we might hear this and go yes and amen and then tomorrow we see it again. (laughs) If you turn on the news, you're like, the wicked seem like they're winning right now. And God doesn't make sense. How are we to respond? And God wants us to leave that fretting and to live in faith And so he gives David here um, seven contrasts and then four commitments from God to us and then three commissions, things that we're supposed to do as we live out our faith. And then one final comparison at the end to help us move, like we usually say, moving from fear to faith. Well, here we're moving from fretting to faith. Let's start in verse 12. We're going to read together. The wicked plotteth against the just, 
gnasheth upon him with his teeth. The Lord shall laugh at him, for he seeth that his day is coming. The wicked have drawn out the sword. They bent their bow to cast down the poor and needy and to slay such as be of upright conversation. Well, their sword shall enter into their own heart, and their bow shall be broken. A little that a righteous man hath is better than the riches of many wicked. For the arms of the wicked shall be broken, but the Lord upholdeth the righteous. The Lord knoweth the days of the upright, and their inheritance shall be forever. They shall not be ashamed in the evil time, and in the days of famine they shall be satisfied. But the wicked shall perish, and the enemies of the Lord shall be as the fat of lambs. They shall consume, and to smoke shall they consume away. The wicked borroweth, and payeth not again, but the righteous showeth mercy, and he giveth. For such as be blessed of him shall inherit the earth, and they that be cursed of him shall be cut off. The steps of a good man ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholdeth him with his hand. I've been young, now I'm old. Yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. He's ever merciful and lendeth. His seed is blessed. Depart from evil, do good, and dwell forevermore. For the Lord loveth judgment, he forsaketh not his saints, they are preserved forever, but the seed of the wicked shall be cut off. The righteous shall inherit the land and dwell therein forever. The mouth of the righteous speaketh wisdom, and his tongue talketh of judgment. The law of his God is in his heart. None of his steps shall slide. And the wicked watcheth the righteous, and seeketh to slay him. The Lord will not leave him in his hand, nor condemn him when he is judge. Wait on the Lord, keep his way. And he shall exalt thee to inherit the land. When the wicked are cut off, thou shalt see it. I've seen the wicked in great power, spreading himself like a green bay tree. Yet he passed away, and lo, he was not. Yeah, I saw him, but he could not be found. Mark the perfect man. Behold the upright, for the end of that man is peace. But the transgressors shall be destroyed together. The end of the wicked shall be cut off. But the salvation of the righteous is of the Lord. He is their strength in the time of trouble. And the Lord shall help them and deliver them. He shall deliver them from the wicked and save them because they trust in him. All right, let's pray before we study this together. Heavenly Father, as we look into your word, we likely find ourselves in the middle of this. If not tonight, recently, maybe tomorrow, where... We look around us and we see wicked people that seem to be successful, seem to be blessed and seem to be happy while we try to follow you, do what you say, obey your word, tell others of you. And sometimes we have the very opposite of that. It doesn't seem like we do have success. You have laid out here in this psalm facts facts that you've given us to fuel our faith, to keep us from sliding into a fretting that we learned last week. It can actually end up in envy of the wicked and, and even participating in evil with them. Lord, keep us from that. Keep us from that. Help us to focus on what you want us to focus on. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. 
verses 12 to 22, he gives seven contrasts. There's two right here in this first section of verses, verses 12 to 15, and it's the schemes of the wicked versus the sovereignty of God. In verse 12, he says, the wicked plotteth against the just, and he gnasheth upon him with his teeth. That's a fact. That happens. It's real. It's even really painful to experience. That's not God's or David's argument here. This happens. But he says in verse 13 that the Lord shall laugh at him, the wicked that's doing this. For he sees that his day is coming. The wicked schemes, their supposed power, honestly to God, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous when man shakes her fist at God and says, no, I know better. I'm going to do it my way. It's ridiculous. And God says here in verse 13 that there is a day coming when their abuse of God and their abuse of God's people, it's going to end. We learned that last week in verse 2. They shall soon be cut off in verse 10 for yet a little while. And if we remember that sometimes that little while on our timeline doesn't seem so little, doesn't seem so soon. So we have to trust God that he's going to do what he said he's going to do. In verse 14, the wicked, they've drawn out their sword and they've bent their bow with the intention to, to cast down the poor and needy, to slay such as be of an upright conversation. The bow and that sword are real. And they're even really scary sometimes. And that's not the argument here again. What, it, what God's presenting to us is that none of those schemes will be victorious. Now, they might occur, they might, but we're promised that God is going to turn their evil and what they're intending, he's going to turn their evil purposes to good for us and then evil for them. That's what he says there. Verse 15, their sword shall enter into their own heart and their bows shall be broken. Well, we might not see that just yet. We are called to have faith, to believe that this is what God's going to do because he said he's going to. To do it. So, based on that, which way will you choose? In this contrast, the schemes of the wicked or the sovereignty of God. This is what he's always done in the past. This is what he's uh, promised to do. Which way is truly successful? Then in verse 16, we've got the contrast of the temporal treasure of the wicked versus the eternal treasure of the righteous. Verse 16, a little that a righteous man hath is better better than the riches of many wicked. Man, what a great verse. A little song based on that. Little is much when God is in it. Labor not for wealth or fame. There's a crown. You can win it if you go in Jesus' name. Little is much. What about the riches of the wicked? Are they much? They are in a temporal sense. That's not the argument here or elsewhere in God's word. But the promise is that the little that we may have now, honestly, is much and is better. Little now, for the Christian, lots later. Little now, lots eternally. So based on that fact, in this contrast, which way will you choose? Which way is really successful? Verse 17, the temporal support of the wicked versus the eternal support of the righteous. It says, verse 17, for the arms of the wicked shall be broken, but the Lord upholdeth the righteous. Arms, literally arms, their strength, their power that they might be wielding against God and God's people. But um, their seeming power is without support. It's just their arms, just a human arm. Now compare that or contrast that 
with the end of the verse. When the Lord upholdeth the righteous, who's under our arms? God, right? What a fellowship. What a peace is mine. I have blessedness. Leaning on the everlasting arms. The verse in Deuteronomy 33, 27, I just love. It says, the eternal God is your refuge, and underneath you are the everlasting arms. What's underneath the arms of the wicked? Nothing. Human arms. It's human strength. And we got another one. Verses 18 to 20, the temporal life of the wicked versus the eternal life of the righteous. It says, the Lord knoweth the days of the upright, the righteous, the faithful, and their inheritance shall be forever. They shall not be ashamed in the evil time, in the days of famine. They shall be satisfied. So what about the days of the upright? What is their life like? It's eternal. And it says God knows them. This is so much more in the Hebrew than just um, like a comprehension, like God knows about you and who you are. It's talking about care and concern. He knows you like a father knows their child or a spouse knows their spouse. Um, their inheritance, according to verse 18, it's forever. It's lasting. It's eternally lasting. Verse 19, there's no shame now. And satisfaction is honestly available now if we'll have faith in God's promises, if we'll trust, if we'll delight, if we'll commit, if we'll rest, like verses 3 to 7 said. Instead, instead of allowing the seeming success of the wicked to drive us from a place of faith back to fretting, back to fear. Verse 20, well, what about the life of the wicked? It says there, the wicked will perish. It's a temporal life. It's not eternal like the righteous. The enemies of the Lord shall be as the fat of lambs. They shall consume into smoke. They shall consume away. This is a very temporal life, transient life, uh, ethereal, like smoke going up. It doesn't last long, right? If there's smoke, eventually it dissipates. This is what he compares the life of the wicked to. Sad, this is the only heaven that they'll ever know. It's not much of one, is it? It's not. Only heaven that they know now or will ever know, right here. Eight different times Jesus quotes from this psalm in his Sermon on the Mount. And I think the reason is it's particularly relevant to what he was trying to get across, especially in Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 and 20, where he says, Lay not up for yourselves treasures, here on earth, where moth and rust corrupts, where thieves can come in and steal, where are we supposed to lay them? In heaven. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where that cannot happen. They're secure, they're eternal, they're long-lasting. And the whole reason is, Jesus says, because where your treasure is, it's where your heart will be. I think you can flip those around, too. Where your heart is, it's where your treasure is going to be. So what will you choose? The seeming success of the wicked, amassing wealth, having blessing here on earth, at least for a while, and it seems like they're doing well, are you going to believe God? And then verses 21 and 22, last contrast here, the greed of the wicked versus the generosity of the righteous, says in verse 21, that the wicked borroweth and payeth not again. All they're about is amassing wealth. They don't care who they have to hurt to get it. I'm going to get what's mine. This is the kind of world we, we live in right now. There's not a caring concern for others. Just people trying to do whatever they've got to do to get what they want. And God then 
contrast it with a righteous person. It says the righteous showeth mercy and he, he giveth. For such as be blessed of him shall inherit the earth. Whoever's blessed of God, they're going to inherit the earth. Whoever's cursed of him, who rejects God, who rejects God's provision in Jesus Christ, will be cut off. You know, it's amazing. Verse, end of verse 6 says, The righteous showeth mercy and giveth. God so abundantly supplies, even when we just have a little. We just have a little. But we're able to give. He expects us to give. Just having a little, but he expects us to give. You know how we can believe that? We can believe it from Psalm 23.1. I like the New Living Translation version of that. It says, the Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. I like the positive more than I shall not want. I've got all that I need. All that I need and more. Even the ability to help others. All and beyond because it's supplied by him. And so then these seven contrasts, it's really just a contrast of faith. Forsaking all, I trust him. Will you forsake this? Will you forsake the seeming success of the wicked, the seeming power that they have, the seeming um, wealth that they amass? And God gives us four commitments to reinforce our faith. These are commitments from God for those who will choose faith. First of all, verse 23, the steps of a good man, they're ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. The steps of a good man. So we have God providing those who will rely on faith in him alone, a path, their order, their stability there, their security there, because God has laid out that path for us. The second part of that verse says that he delighteth in his way. And so um, there's some confusion here about what that means, depending on what version you have. The the New King James and the Holman uh, Bible, they capitalize pronouns, and I'm really thankful for that, Um, because it could be understood that the good man delights in the way of God. And I don't think that that's necessarily wrong. It's true. But in those two versions I mentioned, they actually capitalize that first H. He delighteth in his way. God delights in the way of the faithful. Do you ever wonder why God chose faith? Like he could have saved us any way he wanted. After Satan rebelled, he could have just 2.0 creation. After Adam and Eve rebelled, could have done it again. Just let's start from scratch. Noah could have done it again, but he decided to let faith be what glorifies him most. He came up with this plan, and it's a beautiful plan, Um, but he came up with this plan for our faith in his grace to be what saves us. And I believe that's what he's talking about here when it says he, God, delighteth in his way. God delights in our faith, and here's why. Because you know what faith does? It doesn't magnify me doesn't magnify the person who has it. It doesn't. Guess who it magnifies? It magnifies God. It magnifies God's grace. It makes God look big. It makes God's grace look big. That's why it's so important to not stay in a place of fretting, not stay in a place of fear, as we've learned in 30-some Psalms, but to ascend to a place of faith. And we do that by focusing on the facts we just looked at. Not only does God give us a path, in verse 24, he protects us. It's as though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down. This good man, this faithful man, though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholds him with his hand, though he fall. And we do. Christians do. Faithful people do. And when we do, well, what happens? What happens? We're not lost. We're not utterly cast down. For those who are faithful, right, the promise is that God's going to uphold us. So we, we get up. 
We turn back to God. We cast ourselves again on His grace and in repentance. Isn't that an amazing grace? That's an amazing grace, folks. Right here, we have this truth that the reality of my salvation and the security of my relationship with God, it is not dependent on my grip on Him, but it's dependent solely, exclusively on God's grip on me. That's a pretty strong grip. This is why Jesus says, no man can pluck you out of my hand. My father's greater than I am, and no man can pluck you out of my father's hand. Thank God for that strong grip. We're upheld by the Lord's hand, even when we fall. He also provides. Here's another commitment from God for those who are faithful. Verses 25 and 26. I've been young, now I'm old. I've not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. He's ever merciful and lendeth again. We're so blessed that we actually have the ability to be merciful in Lent, and his seed is blessed. God provides, never in need. We're always provided for. Our earthly treasures, we may not have a whole lot of them, but we're never in want of anything either. We have all that we need. God commits to guide the faithful on his path. He commits to protect them. He commits to provide for them because he's faithful. We sang it tonight, great is thy faithfulness. He is faithful, full of faith to the faithful, to the full of faith. There's, um, if you've never read any of the biographies or accounts or testimonies of an evangelist, and I guess you call him a missionary, George Mueller. Has anybody ever heard of George Mueller? Oh, there's a few. All right. Bristol, England, in the early 1800s, set up orphanages, a lot of orphans at that time. Had a burden for young children to come to know Jesus, to minister to them and care for them, follow Jesus. Suffer the little children to come unto me, for such is the kingdom of God. But he was committed to do it faithfully. Never once asked anyone for donations to support it. God always funded it. Over $14 million in today's currency. Five different orphanages. God came through. God supplied the need. Never once asked people. Just asked God. He went to God believing what we have here in this psalm. One time they had nothing for breakfast. Kids are there in the cafeteria. And they gave thanks, said grace for something they didn't even have. (laughs) And God has bread truck come just then, milk truck. One of them broke down, I think. Came just then, knew the milk would spoil, had to give it. God supplies. God supplies. Wanted to build these things. Got to have an ark attack. Draw up the plans. Does it just for nothing, for no charge. Says, God told me to do this. He's on his way to Canada one time to to speak, tell of God and what he's done for his entire life. He's on the way to Canada. Fog sets in. Captain says, we are not going to make it in time for your speaking engagement. He says, I, I've got to get there because I've got to tell people what God does. I've got to get there tomorrow. I've got to make it on time. He says, I'm going to pray that that fog lifts. And the captain laughed at him. And they immediately went up to the bridge and the fog was gone. God provides. This is who our, our God is. And that faith, that kind of faith, that kind of prayer, that's when we see God work. This is what George Mueller believed. His favorite verse, Philippians 4.19, but my God shall supply all your need. Not most of it. (laughs) My God will supply all your need according to his riches. When I start worrying about where I'm going to get money, where I'm going to get something, it's a cause for worry. When I realize that he's promised to supply all, all my need. How, what is his riches like? What's his riches like? 
His riches in glory in Christ Jesus just makes me jump to Romans 8, 32. What's the evidence that God will do this and provide? Romans 8, 32. He who did not spare his own son for you, but gave him up for you all, how will he not also freely give you all things? How will he not take care of you? If you doubt this, remember what I did for you in Jesus Christ. And he preserves, verses 27 to 29, God's final commitment to us here. Depart from evil, do good, and dwell forevermore. For the Lord loveth judgment. He does not forsake his saints. They're preserved forever. See to the wicked, cut off. But the righteous, they'll inherit the land, and they'll dwell therein forever. When we leave fretting for faith, when we depart from evil to walk in God's way, eternal life, eternal relationship is ours. We're never forsaken, it said in verse 28. Forever preserved. That's God's commitment to those who are faithful. Then he gives us three commissions, three commands for the faithful. You could even call them characteristics because there's things that we're supposed to do continuously in our life. Verse 30, for how we speak. The mouth of the righteous, that speaks wisdom. And his tongue talketh of judgment or justice. We're supposed to speak wisdom and justice. First of all, to ourselves. We don't talk to ourselves enough. We listen to ourselves a whole lot. That's dangerous. We need to be talking to ourselves. We need to be talking this to ourselves. God's promises to ourselves. We also need to be giving them to others. Right? Because sometimes somebody might, you might have been in a place like that. But someone might be in a place where fretting, the schemes of the wicked, right now are clouding. But they already know. They know this. It's just clouded. You need to be speaking wisdom and justice to your brothers and sisters in Christ so they might not be detoured into fretting when they view seeming success to the wicked. Say, no, look at it from God's perspective. Pray with them. Give them wisdom. Encourage them that, you know what? I understand justice is ahead. It's seeming success. Justice is ahead. Also for what we love. He gives us commission for what we love in verse uh, 31. The law of his God is in his heart, and none of his steps shall slide. We've got to have love for that singular source of wisdom, God's word. We need to embrace it in our hearts so that our steps may not slide. We don't go back into fretting. We remain in faith. David testifies in Psalm 119.11, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. It's like almost exactly what this verse is saying. And hid, no doubt. It's talking about Bible memorization because you may not always have this with you, may not always have your phone, although that excuse is probably out the window now because everybody's got their phone, right? But um, hid in there is not just talking about Bible memorization. I mean, literally, the word means treasured. Your word I've treasured in my heart. So it's got to be there, right? So memorization, yeah, get on it. But I've treasured it in my heart so that when I'm presented with sin or the schemes of the wicked or the seeming success of the wicked, I don't go, yeah, you know what? That's not worth it. I guess I'm going to do it their way. No, I treasure your word in my heart so I don't sin against you. As verse 31 says, the law of God is in the heart of the faithful so that none of his steps will slide. David says later in Psalm 119 and verses 36 to 37, God turned my heart toward your statutes, toward your commandments, right? And not toward selfish gain. That's what the wicked's heart is on. That's what the seeming success of the wicked is on, selfish gain. David says, no, there's 37. Turn my eyes away from worthless things. 
Longest chapter in the Bible, Psalm 119. The whole thing from start to finish is about having a passionate love for God's word. The entire thing. All those chapters. Because David had it, and he calls us to as well. In verses 32 to 34 now, he also gives us a commission for what we lean on. Rather, not, not what as much as who. All right, and so in verse 32, he says, uh, Wicked watcheth the righteous and seeketh to slay him. That's real. That's not the argument. We re- live in that reality. The Lord will not leave him, though. He won't leave him in his hand, nor condemn him when he is judged. So wait on the Lord. Keep his way. He'll exalt thee to inherit the land. When the wicked are cut off, you're going to see it. Don't lean on what they lean on. Power. Temporal treasures. Temporal pleasures. Don't lean on that. God commissions us through David here to live a lifestyle of waiting, trusting God, keeping his way, resisting the fretting that can lead to envy, maybe even to doing what they're doing, and resting only on God who shows us his path, who protects, who provides, who preserves. And then he gives us one last comparison here in verses 35 to 40. David closes this song, urging you and I, when we find ourselves here, fretting, starting, we need to change our focus, an altered focus. Fretting comes from our focusing on the seeming success of the wicked. It's when fretting's going to happen when we sit there and gaze at their lifestyles, gaze at their seeming success, Instead of gazing at what God says about it, and, and then we begin to wonder, if is faithfulness to God, is it, is it even worth it? And David doesn't deny that that temptation exists. That's what he says in verse 35. David says, look, I have seen, this is why I'm writing this psalm, I have seen the wicked in great power, and they're spreading themselves like a green bay tree. We got a lot of bay trees down there, down here. We didn't really have them up in Wisconsin, like out in White Oak especially. All it's like dense. I went hunting one time out near Jones Lake at the game lands out there. It was really embarrassing. Do you remember that? Because it's bay trees like this. And um, I went out there and I was hunting. I went in and I got in like this circular hole surrounded by bay trees, probably about four acres wide. I went in and couldn't get out. Like there was a way in, but I never found it as I went around in circles. Started getting cloudy, started getting rainy. My compass on my phone was not going to work because my phone was almost out of juice. About four, it's getting dark in October there. I said, I got to call Krista. I got like enough to call her. And I said, Krista, can you come out here and honk the horn? (laughs) She pulled up on a little gravel road, logging road there, just honking the horn. I said, Holy Moses, that is a long ways away. And she's like, You hear it? I said, Yeah, let me shoot the shotgun. Can you hear that? She says, my goodness, that's a long ways away. And so we made it back. We made it back. But then I, and I, I had my camouflage on because I was too cheap to buy hunting camouflage. I had my camouflage jacket on from the Army with my special forces insignia still on it. And um, when I got there, there was a park ranger there with Krista because she had been making a lot of noise. And he looked at me. He's like, you got lost, huh? I said, yeah. Special forces, huh? I said, Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Those bay trees are dense. Like to get out, I never found the way out. I just like bum rushed the bay trees. And I was crawling on bay trees like this high off the ground on all fours. Family made it out, right? And he says, look, I've seen the wicked in great power. They're spreading themselves like a green bay tree. Man, I know how a green bay tree spreads. It's alive. It's flourishing. 
But what happened? Verse 36, he passed away. Well, he was not. The seeming success, it wasn't eternal. It wasn't worth it. I sought him. <laughs> I couldn't even find him. Where did he go? And David also testifies there. Yeah, you know what? I've seen that. I've seen seeming success. I know where you are. I know what you're dealing with. I know it's frustrating when you turn on the news and people who are against God and against his word and against his will, they seem to be blessed, happy, taking over control of things. You've got suffering. You've got persecution. And David says, but you know, I've also seen this. We talked about this last week. If we're honest, there's been times in our lives when we've seen people like this and we've seen their life come to a screeching halt. We know better. We know better. We know this is who God is. But sometimes we don't. And so in those times, we just got to believe what God says happens. This is how God always says it happens, even if we don't see it just yet. And we got to believe him. That's what faith is. This is what God said would happen. It's what he's always done in the past. It's what he promises for the future of the wicked. So no, it's not worth it. And so through a man with real world experience, and when we're talking about David, God says this. Have an altered focus. Stop looking at it. That might mean turn off the news. Turn off the news. Love your God. Love your neighbor. Stop looking at it. First of all, don't look at the seeming success of the wicked, don't, especially not as a basis for your values and your choices. Instead, we're called to alter our focus. Look what he says in verse 37. You want to look at something? Mark the perfect man. Behold the upright. For the end of that man is peace. Mark the perfect man. Well, who's a perfect man? Mark the complete man. All right, yeah, there's, find a righteous person that you can, that can be your mentor. I mean, Paul said that. He did. He said, be imitators of me just as I am of Jesus Christ. Well, you've got to be living right to make a statement like that, right? But who's the perfect man? Is there a perfect man? There's, there's been one. You know what? Stop looking at that mess. Look at the perfect man. Look at Jesus Christ. Soul, are you weary and troubled? No light in the darkness, you see? It's where we are sometimes when you turn the news on. Well, there is light. There's light for a look at the Savior. And there's life. It's abundant and it's free. They say, no, freedom's here. Abundance is here. This is a way. Jesus says, no. There's light for a look at the Savior. That's life, abundant and free. So what are we to do? Turn our eyes upon Jesus, an altered focus. Look full in his wonderful face, not in his face and then back to the news, not in his face and mm, that seems like that's the way to go. No, look full, full in his wonderful face. And you know what happens? Seeming success of the wicked goes strangely dim. It grows strangely dim. The chaos in the world goes strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Then you have the ascended face, faith, an ascended faith. David's up there, left fretting, Focused on the facts. Here's a sin of faith. David says, you know what? No, yeah. The transgressors will be destroyed together. The end of the wicked shall be cut off. It's seeming success. And the, the salvation of the righteous, it's of the Lord. He is their strength in times of trouble. And the Lord will help them. He'll deliver them. He shall deliver them from the wicked and save them. Why? Because they trust in him. Faith. Because they trust in him. I'm going to ask the praise team to come up. We're going to sing a couple more songs. But as they come up, look, we are, we are consistently tempted to compare. Every time you turn the TV on, every commercial, marketing is based on that. Um, 
They used to say when I was in Bible college, there was one professor, he said it about weekly, comparison kills contentment. Well, God actually asks us to compare here. He's just like, don't compare like you have been. Compare this. Here's, the, here's what really happens. You want to look at the seeming success of the wicked? It's seeming. That's it. This is their end. This is the end of the righteous. So he's asking us to truly compare. Seeming success of the wicked, steadfast success of the righteous. The choice is ours. Temporal, seeming success, eternal, steadfast salvation. And David's message to us is there is no comparison. None. Jesus is better. Amen? Jesus is better. The lion and the lamb is better. Let's sing that.